to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokens and tokens and non-token loving liberty. It is Monday, March 6, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 901 and coming up on today's show in the news, the nation of Israel has moved forward on the decriminalization of marijuana. We'll get you all the details in our cannabis focus. We take a look at the step, the state of Virginia, where at the state and federal level, their Republicans are stepping forward to reform marijuana laws. Our drug war data mining segment, will do some reefer madness debunking, talking about a Texas rehab doctor who's spreading more long debunked marijuana myths and our guest of course today for monday is dr mitch Earlywine. we're going to be talking a lot about the opiate crisis and how not just cannabis but also psychedelics could help reduce opiate overdose deaths plus a radical rant but right now let's get to the cannabis headline news covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis medical marijuana and industrial hemp Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, March 6, 2017. The cannabis approved... The can... Pardon me. The cabinet approved on Sunday the decriminalized use of marijuana in Israel. According to the proposal formulated by the Public Security and Justice Ministries, any first-time offender caught using marijuana in public would receive a fine rather than face criminal action. The panel recommended switching the focus on marijuana usage from the criminal level to the educational one and expanding responses to marijuana use beyond opening criminal files and prosecuting users. According to the new policy, first time cannabis offenders that are caught using marijuana in a public place will incur a fine of 1,000 shekels, equivalent to 271 U.S. dollars, but the offender will not face criminal charges. The fine will be doubled on a second offense. The third offense will lead to probation, with the record of the offense only being expunged after a brief period. Only on the fourth offense will criminal charges be pressed. Now that Attorney General Jeff Sessions will no longer oversee any investigation into the 2016 election, his path to continue a refashioning of the Justice Department may be even clearer. Sessions' early words and actions are consistent with the tough-on-crime reputation the former federal prosecutor cultivated as an Alabama senator, and they foreshadow an unmistakable pivot in critical areas of civil rights, criminal justice, and drug policy. In a matter of weeks, the Sessions Justice Department repealed a memo that directed the department to phase out the use of private prisons, hinted at a reversal of the department's more hands-off position on marijuana enforcement, and announced his desire to pull back on federal scrutiny of local law enforcement. Colorado may ban collective marijuana growing under a bill that calls some patient-owned marijuana grows, quote, a public nuisance, end quote. A bill up for its first hearing in a House committee Monday would ban co-op pot growing by setting a statewide limit of 12 marijuana plants per residential property. Colorado currently allows medical pot patients to grow up to 99 plants far beyond other marijuana states and it also allows recreational users to group their allotted six plants into massive co-ops entire greenhouses of pot that aren't tracked or taxed 
but the change would effectively force some medical marijuana patients to buy from a licensed grower instead of growing their own plants. Representative Casey Becker, a Boulder Democrat who is sponsor of the bill, called Colorado's generous plant limits, quote, a big regulatory loophole, end quote, for black market drug operations. The Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors is scheduled to consider a plan Wednesday to shut down all marijuana dispensaries in unincorporated areas of L.A. That would put about 70 medical collectives in the sheriff's crosshairs, which has alarmed Los Angeles marijuana advocates. The board in 2011 banned all dispensaries in unincorporated areas, so the risks have been well known to marijuana business owners. Last month, the board voted to extend that ban. Connecticut lawmakers will hear public feedback on the first of several bills filed this session that would legalize the sale of recreational marijuana. The General Assembly's Public Health Committee has scheduled a hearing for Tuesday on legislation that would require the Department of Consumer Protection to create and administer a program that allows people 21 years and older to legally purchase and cultivate marijuana. The bill also requires the Department of Revenue Services to create and administer a system for taxing the drug. Republican Representative Melissa Zayabron of East Haddam is co-sponsoring the bill. The ranking Republican House member on the Appropriations Committee, Zayabron says she wants to, quote, promote a healthy and substantive discussion, end quote, of the issue. Similar legalization bills proposed by mostly Democrats are awaiting action in other committees. The state of Montana argues a Billings medical marijuana cardholder charged with possessing more than an ounce of undried marijuana can appeal a pretrial ruling after the district court case is decided. Wayne Stephen Penning sought to have the charge dismissed, arguing that humid marijuana does not fall under the state's definition of usable marijuana and is not subject to the one ounce possession limit. District Judge Rod Souza said that was an issue for a jury to decide. Penning asked the Supreme Court to overturn Souza's ruling, which Penning said effectively made it illegal for medical marijuana patients to harvest their plants without having to destroy most of their crop. The state's reply, filed March 1st, said Penning's issue is not an emergency and that there are some uses for humid marijuana. This has been your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, March 6, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belleville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. I'm really close with my mom. I always have been. John, what are you doing? Nothing. No, Nothing. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Just talk. shut up. She's just always no, been there for me. I don't know. She's my mom. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day. Exclusively on RadicalRuss.com. Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belleville Show and 420 Radio. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. 
Hey, Mouth! Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. Cool. <laughs> A public service message from the Rust Belleville Show. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at the state of Virginia, where at both the state and federal levels, we are getting some surprising moves in marijuana reform backed by Republicans from the state of Virginia. So let's find out what's going on there. One of the last places you'd expect to see marijuana law reform moving forward is Virginia. You got the urban areas of Nova, the northern Virginia area. That's tied right to next door Washington, D.C. You got a lot of people that live and work there. Uh, and then the rural areas of the state are pretty reliably conservative and Republican. But at the state level, they've made some baby step moves forward that look like they're going to pass very soon. And two of Virginia's Republican congressmen at the U.S. Congress have introduced three bills that would do great work in reforming medical and, mar- uh, and recreational marijuana laws. So let's start with the, uh, the state level. Uh, Virginia Normal has been advocating for numerous bills this session, uh, but one of the two that have survived the House and Senate, and they both await the governor, Terry McAuliffe's signature, Uh, One of these two bills is about the tiniest baby step you can take toward legalization. Now, understand in Virginia, like many prohibition states, this misdemeanor that comes with a marijuana possession charge usually also comes with an administrative penalty of a driver's license suspension. And that's whether you were in a vehicle, driving a vehicle, anywhere near a vehicle or not. So in Virginia, Senate Bill 1091 makes it so a judge may substitute community service in place of the six-month suspension of a driver's license for marijuana possession. However, it only applies to deferred dispositions of marijuana possession charges. It only applies to adults. Juveniles would still have their licenses suspended. It doesn't apply if you were in a vehicle when you were caught with the marijuana. You still have your license suspended. And the whole idea will be scrapped if the federal government says Virginia could lose federal highway funds over it. So just just no driver's license suspension for a few of the adults who get busted for weed. But still, it's a move forward. I spoke with Jen Michelle Padini. She's the executive director of Virginia Normal. And uh, she expressed some shock at the amount of community service that was proposed in place of that driver's license suspension. She told me, quote, The judge would give you an extra 76 hours of community service on top of 24 hours already required. That's 100 hours of community service, and that's the kind of number you'd get for a felony in Virginia, (laughs) end quote. Now, while it may be the tiniest little baby step, SB 1091 will still have a huge impact. When people busted for weed lose their driver's licenses, that can lead to losing their jobs. Losing their jobs can lead to a downward spiral of missing important bill payments or not able to pay rent or mortgage and or importantly not being able to make those court ordered payments that can result in homelessness crime and recidivism 
Now, the other bill that got passed in Virginia that's awaiting the governor's signature is SB 1027. This bill expands Virginia's existing program for the medical use of cannabidiol, or CBD, and tetrahydrocannabinol acid, or THCA, just for the treatment of epilepsy. Now, under the current Virginia law, the CBD oil must be at least 15% CBD. The THCA oil must be at least 15% THCA. Neither of those oils can contain more than 5% psychoactive THC. And, and, and remember, of course, CBD and THCA are not psychoactive. Oh, well, with THCA, it's not psychoactive if you don't decarboxylate it. Uh, so whatever you do in Virginia, don't take your over 15% THCA oil and put it in the oven for 200 degrees for a while to decarboxylate that and turn that into psychoactive THC. Don't do that. Also, at the federal level, Republican congressmen from Virginia have introduced three bombshell bills that would decriminalize medical or recreational marijuana at the federal level. Now, in the last Congress, it was the independent Democratic Socialist, Senator Bernie Sanders, who sponsored Senate Bill 2237. This was the ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act of 2015. This time around, it's a Virginia Republican, Congressman Thomas Garrett, who is behind H.R. 1227. And it's virtually the same legislation that would remove marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. That would just leave the legality of marijuana to be determined by the states. And it would ban the interstate trafficking of marijuana to those states that still maintain marijuana prohibition. And another Virginia Republican, Congressman Morgan Griffith, has sponsored two similar bills that would extend protections to the states that have legalized medical marijuana. H.R. 714, it's called the Legitimate Use of Medical Marijuana Act, or LUMA. This bill would reschedule cannabis from Schedule 1 to Schedule 2. That would empower doctors to write actual prescriptions, not mere recommendations for medical cannabis. The bill would also explicitly provide that the Controlled Substances Act does not prevent any state from engaging in a medical cannabis program. That's H.R. 714. H.R. 715 is entitled the Compassionate Access Act, and it's got the same rescheduling and state medical marijuana protections as LUMA does, but it also adds the removal of cannabidiol from the Controlled Substances Act altogether and provides that scientific research into cannabis must be conducted by an entity other than the National Institute on Drug Abuse. It, it actually says uh, must be conducted by a federal agency that is not empowered solely to determine uh, the harms of marijuana, as NIDA is. But as much good news as that is from the Virginia Republicans uh, sponsoring these bills, uh, the progressive Republicans from Virginia might be blocked by one regressive Republican from Virginia. This ending Federal Marijuana Prohibition Act and the Compassionate Access Act were both referred to the House Judiciary Committee. That's chaired by another Virginian, another Republican. This guy's name is Bob Goodlatte, but uh, he is a congressman who doesn't have a very good opinion on marijuana. This is uh, something that uh, Representative Goodlatte believes, uh, speaking at a event in 2016. 
Uh, if I could ask you about criminal law, changing gears again. Um, as you no doubt know, the, the subject of marijuana has been a very controversial one in your committee. It keeps coming up in a variety of, of, uh, of settings, including this week with the Attorney General. And I'm just curious about your personal views on this subject, not necessarily as the chairman of the committee, but your personal views. Well, do, you, do you believe marijuana should be a Schedule One substance that's classified in the same way as drugs uh, such as LSD or, uh, or heroin? I think marijuana is a dangerous substance uh, that uh, has many more drawbacks than uh, uh, benefits that some people derive from it. Uh so that's uh, the guy that would have to call a bill for a hearing he would ha and for a vote. He would have to call that bill uh, to remove marijuana from Schedule 1 and put it into Schedule 2. And here's a guy who says that marijuana is a dangerous substance that has many more drawbacks than benefits that some people derive from it. Now, those two bills and the Luma bill, that is all three of them, were also referred to the House Energy and Commerce Committee. Now, that one is chaired by Oregon's lone federal Republican, Representative Greg Walden. Now, Representative Walden has exhibited some support for keeping the federal government from prosecuting the medical marijuana states, so Luma and Compassionate Access might have a chance. But last year, he voted no on an amendment to keep the Fed's hands off of the recreational marijuana states. In the latest actions on these bills, uh, they've both been, uh, both of the medical bills have been referred by Representative Walden from the Energy and Commerce Committee to its health subcommittee. Uh, that is chaired by Representative Michael Burgess, a Republican from Texas. Back in a 2014 hearing, Representative Burgess noted, quote, this nation is in a significant experiment to legalize marijuana, end quote, and that, quote, those who suffer from addiction often start at a young age with alcohol and marijuana and then move on to other drugs like opioids, end quote. And as far as the Compassionate Access Act, that has been referred by Representative Goodlatte from the Judiciary Committee to its Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism, Homeland Security, and Investigations. That one's chaired by Representative Trey Gowdy, a Republican from South Carolina. Representative Gowdy, in his career, has opposed all federal marijuana reform bills and takes, quote, a dim view, end quote, of legalizing marijuana. So we've got some baby steps to move forward in Virginia. It looks like Governor McAuliffe's going to sign those bills. That's the good news. The bad news is that these two Republicans out of Virginia who are moving forward with federal marijuana law reforms are likely to get stymied by these other committee Republicans, even another Virginia Republican. We're going to do something about this. I have drafted a petition at change.org. We're going to publish it tomorrow to go to Representative Goodlatte, Representative Walden, and others to let them know to call these bills for a hearing and have a vote on these bills.
I smelled some marijuana smoke in Vietnam. All right, sorry about that weird segue there. Somehow I uh, missed a minute in my programming. Hey, we're not perfect here. <laughs> we do the best we can. It's 20 after. That means it's 420 in the Mountain Time Zone. Happy 420 to all the folks in Denver and the rest of the Rocky Mountain area. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we've got some reefer madness to debunk out of Texas. A Texas rehab doctor spewing more marijuana myths. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I drank beer heavily and tried drugs enthusiastically. All right, maybe you're high, too. Good for you. Warning. It's taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you to say that. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. Marijuana is an addictive drug which produces in its users insanity, criminality, and death. Marijuana is the most violence-causing drug in the history of mankind. If the hideous monster Frankenstein came face-to-face with the monster of marijuana, he dropped it from fright. You know, it's not easy countering seven decades of propaganda in a two-hour show, but let's try. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Reefer Madness Debunk. Today, for our Reefer Madness Debunked, we go to Texas, Fox 4 station out of Dallas, and a story entitled, Experts Worry About the Increasing Potency of Pot. The disease gradually and very slowly infects, and it's something that happens over a long period of time. 19-year-old Michael Hood first tried pot when he was 16. All right, so let's pause that for just a moment. Michael here in the video first tried pot when he was 16 in Texas, where it's been prohibited for, I don't know, 70 years now. So apparently what we're doing now had no effect in stopping this young man from accessing marijuana. Let's just make sure that's clear. Then once you try it and then it's okay, then that just leads into very slow, slowly attacking your mind. So it's like it's like a lure. We listened. So this is uh, one of the uh, drug war myths, the marijuana myths they like to peddle, which is this idea that uh, using marijuana is this slow motion drug abuse that uh, uh, you don't it, since it doesn't hurt you so quickly uh, as heroin or cocaine. You don't notice it. And so the years go by and you slowly but surely uh, find yourself addicted to marijuana. He told his mother how he was able to hide it from her. Why did I never smell it? You take like a toilet paper roll or something and you stuff dryer sheets in a toilet paper roll 
So then once you you inhale and you exhale through the dryer sheets, it, it, I mean, it, the smell just, you have no idea. So I really like that part of the uh, of the story, uh, educating other teenagers who might be watching the program on how they can conceal marijuana smell from their parents. Great work, Fox. He says getting arrested for marijuana possession finally gave him a wake-up call, and he checked into rehab. Okay, so that's something else to consider, that it wasn't until he was arrested that he was having any sort of problem with marijuana. There was an artificial problem that was created. He didn't find that his grades were slipping or his social life was suffering or he was getting involved with harder drugs or anything like that. It was because he got busted for weed and sent to this guy's rehab program. Today's pot is not your mother's pot. Dr. Harold Urschel, chief medical strategist for Enterhealth, says pot today is double the potency it was just 10 years ago. All right, so let's think about that. Uh, if pot today is double what it was 10 years ago, then I just uh, recently got myself some 25% uh, THC uh, cannabis at a local uh, legal store in Oregon. So half of that is 12.5%. We're supposed to believe that the people in 2007 were smoking 12.5% THC marijuana. Uh, this goes back to uh, Kevin Sabet. This goes back to all of these uh, anti-drug people who claim that marijuana is so much more potent than it was from yesterday, as if they didn't have potent strains and potent hash back then. But it also begs the question, so what? Nobody ever tells you what the harm of this increased potency marijuana is. Is it more toxic? No, can't cause an overdose, can't kill you. Is it more addictive? Well, if more potent marijuana is more addictive, then more potent alcohol is more addictive. So is vodka more addictive than beer? I know plenty of alcoholics who are alcoholics on beer, not vodka. So none of these arguments make any sense. They refuse to indicate any sort of harm that's supposed to be coming from the supposedly potent marijuana, given that the incidence of marijuana use disorders has remained constant over the past 20 or 30 years, given that we've got the same number of older teens in the legal states using cannabis as they did before, but fewer of the younger teens are getting started, it would seem like this uh, rehab doctor, this guy who owns an outpatient clinic that gets people assigned to it to pay money based on court cases and drug courts that force people to go there because they were caught with marijuana, I think he might have an ulterior motive there. I've seen the destructive nature of marijuana. That's why he's taking his message to young people at places like UT Dallas. Just because something's legal doesn't mean it's safe. Urschel showed images of what marijuana use does to the... Okay, we've talked to Dr. Carl Hart many times about these marijuana images where they show someone on one side versus someone on the other that didn't use, someone that did use. Dr. Hart has done a great job debunking that. He basically says you can find as much difference between two identical twins brains as you can find between people that use or don't use these uh, little pictures that are used to try to scare people mean next to nothing scientifically brain over time one of the concerning facts about marijuana is that if you start using it before age 15 you have a much higher chance of developing psychosis or another name for that is schizophrenia Okay, so um, I have an idea. Let's not legalize marijuana for people under the age of 21. Let's keep it illegal for the under the age of 21. Uh, considering that the prohibition allowed this young man to be able to get the marijuana when he was 16 years old, it doesn't look like that solution is working. 
up to the tune of 40 percent. Unlike alcohol, Urschel says one joint will stay in your system for seven days, continuing to affect your mental sharpness. There's this myth that you can smoke marijuana after a football game on Friday, but it's not going to bother your test on Wednesday. That's not uh, and that, of course, is absolutely false. There is no long-term cognitive def- decline, even in the heavy, prolonged use of cannabis by human beings. But if he really wants to believe that smoking a joint on Friday is going to affect your test on Wednesday, I've got a whole bunch of PhDs who can uh, disprove that, anecdotally at least, <laughs> and a whole lot more studies that disprove everything else he was saying. It's the typical reefer madness that we've heard from time, time and time again from these prohibitionists who got no good argument for stopping people from smoking weed, but letting them smoke cigarettes and letting them drink alcohol. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Dr. Mitch Erlewine on the line with more Cannabis This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. No Herb Thrasher from the Herb Thrasher Flower Hour. Now get ready for Herb Age Designs for the proud cannabis consumer. Herb Age Designs. Lifestyle gear for the 420 friendly. Herb Age Designs. We've got Frisbee golf discs and durable hemp gear. Herb Age Designs. We've got shot glasses, drinking glasses, coffee mugs, and beer cozies. Check us out on Facebook and online at HerbAgeDesigns.com. And follow Herb Age and Herb Thrasher on Twitter. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I was asked by a group of children what to do if they were offered drugs. And I answered, just say no. Okay, maybe you're high too. Warning, hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. (coughs) Or at least they... Amy, say that. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> a public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. It's time for the Russ Belleville Show's Cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Dr. Earlywine is a professor of psychology at the State University of New York at Albany and a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. For more on- All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for us to get to our cannabis Q&A with Dr. Mitch. We're working to get him on the line here, uh, having some difficulty with his phone number. So let's see if we can uh, try that again, see if he'll dial up. Dr. Mitch Earlywine uh, joins us, has been joining us for over a decade now here on the show, and uh, he's always great to talk to. We're trying to reach him by his cell phone in Albany, New York, and we shall see if we can get him on the line. Dr. Mitch, are you there? Hanging in there. How are you? Oh, so glad to hear from you. I hope you're having a good day, and we got so much to get to here in our Cannabis Q&A, but before we do, do you have anything to tell us as far as your latest uh, events or studies or surveys that you're working on? We we did get the PMS data finally published, so my hearty thanks to everybody who did participate in that, and what a surprise. The very things that we would guess cannabis helps, it really does, so it's no good for dry vagina, but it's wonderful for things like body aches, 
sleep disturbance and, and things like that. All right. Great to hear that uh, that news coming out. We can uh, get that in front of more decision makers and uh, just further bolster our case for the medical uses of cannabis. Speaking of those medical uses, one of the big uh, issues that is facing America today is the opiate epidemic, the opiate overdose crisis, whether it be heroin or prescription opiates like Oxycontin and Vicodin. We've got a couple of stories here about this uh, reduction in opiate use through the use of medical marijuana. Uh, let's start with that one because this University of New Mexico study seems to reaffirm something we've heard from other, uh, other studies recently. I mean, as we've seen time and again, it looks like folks who are struggling with uh, problems with the opiates can ease some of the withdrawal and associated troubles with cannabis. Uh, they found a 31% reduction in opioid use uh, after 18 months in the medical cannabis patients that they were studying. And it really seems like just a, another way to sort of look at how this really could help us uh, in, you know, what's become essentially one of the most upsetting epidemics in the drug world of, of the last decade. And, and one of the things that's upsetting about this is the rhetoric we're hearing from some of the opponents of legalized marijuana. Jeff Sessions comes to mind, but I've heard this from others who are, like criticizing the uh, the reform of marijuana laws, criticizing this uh, uh, this push to legalize because of the gateway theory. They're afraid we're going to popularize marijuana. That's going to lead more people to heroin. That's going to lead to more opiate abuse. Uh, any uh, anything I mean, it, you can tell them about that? It's it's just so misunderstood. I I really don't even uh, hear them articulating it as a gateway. They're just pointing towards medical cannabis and then saying it's going to lead to opiates as if it's by magic or something. We have such compelling evidence against the gateway theory. Sure, there are folks who start with cannabis and go on to opiate drugs, but literally hundreds of millions of people have tried cannabis and never even seen drugs like heroin. This is not the kind of causal relationship that we have anything to worry about. And in fact, it's probably going in the opposite direction. So we've got an opportunity here to intervene and we really should take it by setting up good taxed and regulated markets in, in uh, cannabis so that the opiates can no longer be a problem. So this, uh, again, has reiterated what we've heard in other studies that have showed fewer pills being prescribed, fewer people in uh, fewer uh, accident victims having opiates in their system, fewer overdoses and so forth. And that's all been with respect to cannabis. But this other study, I just saw this one come up this week talking about an association between the use of psychedelics and opiates. Can you give us some detail on that? It's funny because this is one where I thought, oh, this must be just a spurious correlation. But essentially, as we're seeing folks who have uh, history with psychedelics, both mushrooms and LSD and uh, ayahuasca, uh, basically are putting uh, the opiates down after these experiences. It's as if they have some kind of wild insight. And uh, we're basically seeing experience with psychedelic drugs decreasing risk for opiate abuse unlike really uh, experience with any other illicit drug. And so I, I really feel like there's something here. I'm not the expert on, on psychedelics that I am on cannabis. No uh, fluke anymore. We've got enough data sets pointing towards this. The idea that psychedelics may provide uh, some kind of opportunity for an intervention with opiate dependence seems more and more likely. Wasn't there some study uh, showing uh, the use of psychedelics in the treatment of alcoholism? 
In fact, uh, we've seen two data sets on that, some going back uh, as early as the 1970s. And I do feel like uh, there's something about that pensive, introspective experience that's associated with psychedelics that gets people to essentially contemplate the pros and cons of their problematic drug use and uh, essentially make a commitment to stop it. And I'm not really sure if there's any other experience that can quite mimic that. Hmm. It's fascinating uh, research that they're doing. We'll keep an eye on that stuff. Now, uh, the folks at The Lancet, a a British uh, medical journal, have been discussing the legalization of marijuana as it's uh, unfurling throughout the throughout the globe and they ask the question can we make cannabis safer and in response to that i was wondering if you could tell folks a a few harm reduction strategies they might employ in the use of legal cannabis i mean as our regular listeners would guess i'm going to get on my vaporizer soapbox just to make sure that respiratory irritation is kept to a minimum we're also seeing some data from my lab and others that suggest that lower THC forms of administration do seem to be less likely to create symptoms of tolerance. And if there is such a thing as cannabis withdrawal, make that uh, less likely as well. If you can start low and go slow, as we've been saying with the edibles world, but really throughout the administration of THC, we're bound to do better. And then finally, cannabidiol seems to be taking the edge off some of the uh, potential uh, addictive properties or uh, even some of the psychoactive intoxicating properties of THC, it sounds like CBD really is our friend when it comes to cannabis strains. All right. We'll keep an eye on that as well. Uh, The next survey that I found that was quite interesting touches on a topic we've discussed many times, and that is the use of cannabis by pregnant women. And this uh, survey found that uh, over a third of women who were pregnant were using marijuana when they discovered they were pregnant, and then over a third of them continued using marijuana in their pregnancy. That works out to a little over one out of nine that are using cannabis while pregnant. Uh, Did you find or discern anything from this data that gave you pause or that you found interesting? You remember years ago, we did see a a statistically significant, though relatively modest increase in uh, the chance of a baby ending up in the NICU if the mom was using cannabis heavily. And I do feel like that's in some ways just a marker for poor prenatal care. We've had uh, uh, Marilyn Marthry has has pointed out that uh, folks in the Bahamas and in some of the Caribbean areas basically uh, use cannabis during pregnancy without a lot of negative consequences. It's just such a, a vulnerable time and we're just so you know worried about pregnancy. We do see birth complications contributing to things like schizophrenia. It's not uh, a great idea, but women who do it seem to be able to do it uh, in in some sense without a lot of negative consequences. The 10-year follow-up data on one large data set from Nancy Day's lab suggested these kids were more likely to have ADHD later in life, but she for, forgot to uh, covary for ADHD in the moms. Mm. So I'm afraid this is still a mystery and not something I can say, oh, don't worry about it at all. But I, I, I don't think it's necessarily uh, the kind of thing we would want to, you know, prosecute moms for, and then end up uh, discouraging them from getting prenatal care for fear that they're somehow going to end up uh, with an arrest record simply because they had THC in their urine. 
Mm. Yeah, that's uh, we've been covering many mothers who've had to deal with that, have had their kids taken away when the babies turn up positive for THC. It's it's an issue of great import and we'll continue to follow up on it. Now, the uh, next story we have, uh, this was interesting to me, uh, the potential of cannabidiol of CBD for the treatment of viral hepatitis or prevention of it. I wasn't sure exactly how that was uh, uh, worded, but uh, what that's pretty amazing news. I was stunned by this one myself. There, you know, back in the days of Pliny the Elder and like ancient Rome times when there really wasn't any other way to sort of uh, deal with uh, something like hepatitis or viruses or or cirrhotic things. This was this was uh, part of the pharmacological armament, so to speak. But right now we've got you know not a huge study, but definitely some evidence that perhaps CBD may really be active against. Uh, HCV, the, the hepatitis C, viral hepatitis uh, source, and I'm hoping this will replicate. I still want to make sure, you know, everybody's behaving as safely as possible as far as hepatitis is concerned. You don't want to share needles. You want to watch bloodborne products, anything like that. But if this does show up, it's got the potential to really help a lot of people with what could be a, a lifelong ailment. And so uh, I don't want to count on it, but I'm delighted that these preliminary data uh, were published. All right. And in our final uh, story in the cannabis science from the past week, uh, we got new uh, statistical data coming from Washington State showing an increase in marijuana-related emergency calls to the Poison Control Center. Are, are we just once again looking at you know people being uh, more comfortable reporting these things, or could there be an actual increase at work here? I do feel like there was a self-report bias before where, you know, somebody going to the emergency room who, uh, you know, cut cut their finger while they were slicing onions high wouldn't have mentioned cannabis before and is probably more likely to do so now. But I do want to emphasize when you look, there were 286 emergency calls uh, this year and 265 in 2015. So we're not talking about some giant increase. I don't want to make too much of, you know, what's literally uh, 20, 21 more people. Right, right. Yeah, the the, the numbers, uh, it's, whenever you hear about these uh, increases, doubled, tripled, always get a look at what the raw numbers are, right? Like I could say I doubled my chances of winning the Powerball lottery by buying two tickets instead of one. It's still a snowball's chance in hell I'm going to win the Powerball lottery. That's that's some of the statistical tricks they pull, isn't it, Dr. Mitch? Sad, sad but true. I was just lecturing about this in my graduate research methods class, so it was funny that such a, a prime example came up. All right, folks. Well, uh, we are just about out of time here with Dr. Mitch, but uh, remember, you can get more with Dr. Mitch on his podcast on CannabisRadio.com. It's Burning Issues. And uh, what will you be talking about in the next uh, episode? We've got a nice episode with Dr. Stacy Gruber talking about uh, cannabis-related related brain structural changes and basically how minimal they are unless you were a heavy user early in life. So do, do check that out. All right. You can email Dr. Mitch at 420research at gmail.com. Thanks, Dr. Mitch. We'll talk to you next Monday. Looking forward to it. Bye now. Stay tuned, folks. Time for a radical rant coming up on the upcoming battle for our home grow rights. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com.
When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. Or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. I experimented with marijuana a time or two and didn't inhale. Okay, maybe you're high, too. This is Radical Russ Belleville with a word about giving back. We're all very excited about the recent gains in marijuana reform. But while you may love the convenience of shopping for marijuana at a storefront or are lucky enough to be profiting from the green rush, it's important that you remember that you wouldn't be where you are today without the sacrifices of cannabis freedom fighters who risked everything when zero states had marijuana legalization. Join, support, and donate to your local and national drug reform organizations, including the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, NORMAL, at normal.org. Students for Sensible Drug Policy at ssdp.org. Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org. Americans for Safe Access at safeaccessnow.org. Drug Policy Alliance at drugpolicy.org. And Law Enforcement Action Partnership at leap.cc. This has been a public service announcement from the Russ Belleville Show. Total war against public enemy number one. Ten federal criminal penalties for the one ounce of marijuana. Marijuana is probably the most dangerous drug. Legalization is just another word for surrender. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. This is not medicine. This is a Cheech and Chong show. Encourage people to use less drugs. I am ill. That was that was the point. I think we'd be a mistake to legalize. Negative reports coming out of Colorado. Don't smoke marijuana. As we reported in the news segment today, the state of Colorado is considering a bill that would severely curtail the collective growing rights of Coloradoans that was enshrined enshrined in their constitution under Amendments 20 and Amendment 64. Uh, The Medical Marijuana Amendment, uh, Amendment 20, uh, allows patients to be cultivating up to 99 plants for their own personal medical purposes. Now, I know a lot of people freak out about that. They go, oh, 99 plants. My God, that's a you know, cannabis mega grow. But for some of these patients that are having to use heavy, heavy quantities of the, uh, the FECO oil, the uh, fully infused cannabis oil, they need pounds and pounds of marijuana to produce grams and grams of oil. So... There are many cases where 99 plant limit is legit. And in the case of their recreational grow rights, the uh, people of Colorado, all adults, are allowed to cultivate uh, up to six plants, three mature, three immature. But they've been given the right to uh, do this collectively, to be able to have, I don't know, let's say 100 of us <laughs> band together and collectively grow our six plants each in a 600 plant marijuana warehouse. Now, on the surface, these uh, allowances are great for the cannabis consumer, for the marijuana patient. But from the point of view of a regulator or from law enforcement's point of view, these are nightmares because they believe that uh, unscrupulous actors can 
make use of these 99 plant medical grows or these big recreational collectives to hide the illicit distribution of marijuana outside the regulated channels. Our side, of course, says that what their real goal here is, is to eliminate as much home growing as they can to maximize the return on their tax revenue. Which side may be right on that uh, has yet to be determined, but it seems to me we have an ongoing, uh, an ongoing process here and an attitude from law enforcement, an attitude from the states that have legalized marijuana and, and the people running those states, that there needs to be a reduction and, if not that, an elimination of the right of people to grow marijuana at home. And this hasn't been just over this past year. This is something that I've seen developing since 2010. As you know, in 2010, Arizona became the first state of the states to pass a medical marijuana law through the initiative process that banned home growing for some patients. Now, there had been other states that had passed medical marijuana through their legislators that didn't allow for home grow. But this was the first time a state initiative uh, petition voted on by the citizens restricted the right of home grow. And that was through the institution of a 25-mile so-called halo where if you lived within 25 miles of a dispensary in the state of Arizona, you could not cultivate your own cannabis plants at home. Well, this has led to a situation now with the proliferation of dispensaries in Arizona and their concentration in most of the major urban centers that 97% of the patients in Arizona live somewhere where they cannot grow their own cannabis. You have to be way out there in the desert, more than 25 miles away from a city, before you have the right to grow your own cannabis. And this was replicated. It was replicated in the state of Nevada. The next door state of Nevada replicated that for their medical grows in 2013 through their legislature and in 2016 through the adoption of their Question 2 initiative. They banned any personal recreational grows within 25 miles of a pot shop. And we see it in other states like Massachusetts that have banned home grows unless you have a hardship exemption. North Dakota, which passed uh, an initiative for medical marijuana with a 40-mile halo. But even that's not good enough for some of these legislators. In, in North Dakota, they are considering bills that would eliminate home growing altogether. No more 40-mile halo, just altogether nobody can grow their own cannabis. In Massachusetts and Maine, they're talking about delaying the beginning of their commercial programs and ratcheting down or restricting the home grow rights of the people in the state of Oregon. After we passed our recreational marijuana legalization, the legislature went forward in reducing the size that medical grows could be addressing a program, a problem that was known as card stacking, kind of like the cooperative grows in Colorado amongst the recreational users in Oregon. We used to be able to put together many patients at one location and grow multiple plants for all those patients. Now, Oregon has established a 48-plant limit in unincorporated rural areas and a 12-plant limit in residential areas. In fact, that 12-plant limit in a household seems to be what is emerging as kind of a standard upper bound when it comes to allowing home cultivation. It's like the best you're going to get moving forward is going to be the allowance for 12 plants. In fact, uh, 
Maine, their legalization passed allowing six mature plants, 12 immature plants, and unlimited seedlings. That may be the high watermark for what we are allowed to cultivate at home in the next succeeding initiatives or legislative acts to end marijuana prohibition. This elimination of our right to home grow is very concerning. Of course, Washington state started off without even having a right to home grow. Their initiative 502's framers felt like including home grow would cost too many votes. so They did not include it. There have been bills submitted in the Washington legislature to add a home grow right. They have yet to be passed. So we have a situation where home grow rights are being curtailed as legalization continues to unfold. In these states that have legalization, they all had medical to start with. And legislators are keen on the possibility that with the restrictions, the taxation, the regulation, the inspections, the security requirements required of recreational cannabis, many people will opt to switch back to the medical side where the regulations are less onerous and the loopholes are a little broader. This is something the legislators want to avoid, and that has a lot to do with their motivation for restricting the size of these larger medical grows. There's also the tax revenue uh, idea. That was something that was mentioned many times in Washington State as they were discussing the regulation of their I-502 system. This taxing and regulating of cannabis has set up a profit motive for the states to want to eliminate our home grow rights because every home grower is competing with the state tax man. This is what's going to continue to motivate these legislators to either eliminate our home grow rights or keep them very, very restricted down to three plants or four plants. Keep it very, very limited. This, I'm afraid, is one of the unintended and unfortunate side effects of basing a marijuana legalization argument on the tax revenue that is possible to generate. And I've mentioned in the past the danger of basing our arguments on the revenue argument. Now, the counter to that would be surveys, polls, political science showing that the most effective argument for legalization, the one that resonates the best with the voters, is the revenue argument. So it's 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 not surprising that this has been a common argument to legalize marijuana. The problem becomes these unintended consequences of installing a profit motive as the basis for whether or not we treat marijuana consumers as criminals. And right now we've set it up that, well, we can make so much tax money off of it, we ought not lock them up. What happens when the price of marijuana drops from $300 an ounce to $30 an ounce? Then will we be making enough money that it's not worth it to lock people up for marijuana? Or could that balance of power shift again where it's more profitable to be locking us up and using us for cheap prison labor than it is to be making the tax money off of selling $30 ounces? If we link our legalization arguments to the financial benefit of legalization, where are we? If that financial benefit evaporates or reverses, this is why I always base my primary argument on marijuana legalization on the simple idea that you have no right to tell me what I do with my body as long as I don't hurt you. 
And this is a this is a stand that applies not just to cannabis, but to psychedelics, to other drugs, to prostitution, to gambling, to whatever it is you want to do. Ain't nobody's business but your own. With that kind of argument, it doesn't matter whether or not legalizing marijuana raises any tax revenue. We legalize marijuana because it's the right thing to do. This has been a longtime concern of mine, not just in the area of basing our marijuana arguments on the economic factors, but also on the medical factors. The marijuana is a medicine. Marijuana can treat and cure so many people. And there's no doubt that's true. Don't get me wrong. Medical cannabis, a miracle medicine. But what happens in time as cannabis becomes more relaxed and research is allowed to proceed on it and science is able to take the the constituents of cannabis and formulate them into more effective medicines? Believe that day is coming, folks. We didn't chew willow bark throughout history. We chewed it until we came up with a pill that was better called aspirin. We smoked opium to deal with pain until we came up with a better formulation called morphine that was a little more predictable and and stable. Similarly, there will be formulations of cannabis that come from the pharmaceuticalization of it that will surpass what whole plant cannabis can do. It's not there yet. Sativex is not there. Epidiolex is not there. Of course, none of the synthetics like Marinol or Sesamet are there. But don't discount that it will happen. Science will come up with superior cannabinoid-based medicines to the raw smoking, the smoking of a raw plant. So if we base our arguments on legalizing marijuana on the fact that it's an effective medicine, where do those arguments go when they become more effective medicines? If you stick to the medical argument, then anybody else who wants to use the raw plant is just a stoner looking to get high. And if we can't make any money on taxing the stoners that look to get high, then what motivation is there to end the prohibition against them? We can use the medical arguments. We can use the financial arguments. But these should be supporting arguments to the primary point, and that is it is wrong for you to tell me what I can do with my body so long as I don't hurt you. Let's keep that in mind as we move forward, as we speak to our legislators. Let's lead with the civil rights angle. Let's lead with the right and wrong of it. Then support our arguments with economics. Support our arguments with pharmacokinetics, the marijuana is safer argument. Support our argument with Marijuana is miracle medicine. Support our argument with the benefits of industrial hemp. But keep the focus on the main argument, which is it's wrong for you to tell me what I can do with my body so long as I don't hurt you. That's all the time we got for hour one for all you podcast listeners. But uh, live viewers on RadicalRest.com, stay tuned. Hour two is next. Also, everybody keep in mind, we will have those hour two podcasts Probably this spring or summer. (laughs) Depends on how quickly we raise money to make it happen. If you'd like to make it happen quicker, you can donate to help us upgrade to the new platform. Just send some money to paypal.me slash Radical Russ. Paypal.me slash Radical Russ. For everyone here at Delta 9, I'm Radical Russ. Until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. 
Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.